This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Today, I just want to kind of continue off of where I left off last week. So if you weren't here uh, last week, you can listen to it online. I talked about the idea of evangelism and and really just uh, the idea of living sent, uh, that we don't always have to wait for God to tell us what to do, but we can actually live uh, knowing that he already told us what we are supposed to be doing. And so I'm not going to go over all that again, uh, but I do want to actually take a a bit of a different spin today, and I want to continue to talk about evangelism. But uh, last week was more about kind of aligning our heart to his heart. Today, I want to just get really practical um, and look at what what ways can we engage in evangelism and how can we share the love of Jesus. Just, it's so simple, so perfect what you said that, you know, sometimes you just need to step out and do it. And, and, you know, praise God for youth leaders that give the opportunity. And I'm sure that sometimes they do make you do it, Um, which is, you know, a wonderful thing. We all need people like that in our lives that just go, hey, you can do it. Uh, Here's your chance. Bye. Um, you know, those are, those are great moments where you're like, uh, oh, yeah. hmm. you know, those are the moments in my life where I've been like, Jesus, if you want to make the rapture happen now, uh, that would be awesome so that I can get out of this moment. Uh, but it's all good. Um, just as you were speaking, I, I just saw this big, uh, let's see, this way, a check mark. Um, of, does anyone have Nike shoes on? Like the whole time you were speaking, I just, I just heard, just do it. Uh, just do it. Uh, that's, that's my deep word of knowledge this morning <laughs> from the Lord. I felt like a big check mark across this room and said, you know, you can just do it. It's actually that simple. And everybody has something to give. So um, just want to quickly share um, in the beginning here, Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for every for salvation for everyone can everyone can you say everyone everyone who believes so not just for some that power is not just reserved for some people but it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jew and then also for the Greek basically saying that there's no segregation there's no favorites there's no special person it's for everybody and so what we have to realize is that God has called each of us to live as we're not ashamed of the gospel but we are uh, but we are humbled and honored to serve a God who is not afar off a God who's not in the grave, a God who's alive in us today. And he has actually, like we talked about last week, already given you the commission. It wasn't the great suggestion. It was actually the great commission. And so sometimes we live life as if it's the great suggestion for whoever. Uh, those other people. But this morning, I I just want us to see that it's the great commission because he has commissioned every one of us to step out and to take whatever he has given us uh, and plant it into someone else. And you never know, uh, like Mackenzie so beautifully shared this morning, sometimes people are just observing us and they go, "I, I want what they have. And it can be as simple as that. That can be your open door to then start telling them what Jesus Christ has done for you. But today I want to talk about uh, the idea of proclamation and demonstration. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that either we just want to proclaim the word that we forget to demonstrate the word. And sometimes we start to just say, oh, we just need to demonstrate the love of God, but we actually forget to proclaim it. So today I want to go through a few quick things just to help us um, live in such a way that we can actually activate the word of God 
in our lives and through our lives uh, to those that are seeking around us. Before I jump into some of the nitty-gritty, I just want to uh, quickly share four delusions about evangelism that a lot of people have. Because as I said last week, a lot of people, as soon as you say that word, um, I won't pant like a dog because apparently that's how I sounded last week when I was trying to sound excited. No, don't nod. Um, so I was, I was trying to sound excited. They're like, yeah, you sounded like a panting dog. I'm like, Okay, um, that's not what I meant. But, uh, but uh, some people can get really uptight when they, when you, as soon as you say this word evangelism or, or that's something we should be doing. And so I just want to kind of squash <laughs> four different perceptions that people often have around the idea of evangelism. The first one is this, that evangelism is for the evangelist. Um, we went over this last week, so I'm not going to dive super deep into it, but you can always listen to last week if you want to kind of hear more about that. But in essence, so many times uh, people feel like it's the pastor's job uh, to evangelize. The pastor passes it on to the evangelist with the gift, <laughs> and the evangelist is like, no, no, I want the people to do it. And they're like, yeah, but the pastor should do it, and on it goes, right? And so um, I think first delusion we need to squash is to realize that it's not just for one specific person. It's not for a person with a certain gifting or a certain personality or a certain calling or a certain job. It is for all of us. Uh, I often say it like this, evangelism isn't for the evangelist. It's for the Christian uh, because we're simply meant to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. Number two, um, evangelism is what we do. Um, if I can say it this way, don't compartmentalize what you do and make evangelism just something that you do. Uh, because God has, um, Jesus actually told us to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, it says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and, and then beyond, right? Um, but he didn't say, I want you to, uh, to do witnessing. He says, I want you to be my witnesses. In other words, this is, this is a lifestyle. It's not something that's only for a few people with a gifting. It's meant for you and for I. And the beautiful thing is that if we all actually um, recognize that he has called you, he has set you apart, he has gifted you in your unique way so that you can reach people that I can't reach, so that you can touch people that I can't touch. And, and if you think of it, you know, Jesus called us fishers of men. And so many times when we leave it for just a few people, they, they, it's like they're out there with a rod and, and trying to just one at a time, like catch one little fish at a time. But, but when we all come together and we're all stepping into our, our commission that Jesus already gave us, when we're all part of this wonderful journey, then it's like we're, we're fishing with a net. And we become much more effective when we're doing it together because I need you and you need me and we're a happy family. That's uh, really close to a Barney song. Um, but <clears throat> can you tell I have little kids? Um, but part of learning to be who Christ has called us to be, rather than only trying to do uh, certain things that he's called us to do, is to simply realize that you don't have to be like someone else. That's where most people struggle. They're like, well, I'm not gifted like that, or I can't, I can't uh, speak like that, or I can't sing like that, or, I, or I, can't, um, I can't engage people like that, or I can't be bold like that, or I can't reason like that. And we come up with this whole long list of excuses as to why we can't do it. And can I just free you this morning? God has made you the way you are on purpose. On purpose. I heard, just do it. Yes. 
<laughs> Someone caught on to the message today. That's awesome. Um, because he knows you intricately well. He, he created you to be you. Does, that doesn't mean that you should never change. <laughs> just disclaimer in there. He loves you so much that he doesn't just leave you the way you are. He's going to stretch you and challenge you and help you step into greater things, which is awesome. But don't let who you are become a limitation for him to do what only he can do. Uh, and if I can say this, he believes in us much more than we do. So I've had moments where I'm like, God, you have a lot of faith right now. I don't know if I do, <laughs> but you're asking me to do this, and I don't know if I can do it, but since you asked me, I guess, I guess you must think I can do it. And so we start to recognize that God has so much faith in what we can do because he said right in that Great Commission, it says, you're not alone, I'm with you. I've given you everything you need. I've given you the authority you need, and most of all, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And so when we realize that, then we start to not limit God because he actually says in John uh, 14, 12, he says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. It's a mind-blowing scripture when you think about everything that he did. And he's like, yeah, that was just the starting point. You get to do greater things. You get to do more things. And if you think about how many little Jesuses are walking around uh, today, because we're, Christians simply is a little anointed one. That's the definition of a Christian. And so if you think about how we're actually covering the planet, and we can all go out and do his works and greater works, it multiplies. Because Jesus, even though he was God, when he was on earth, he was actually limited to time and space. That's why the crowds followed him all the time, because he could only be in one place at one time. That's why he said, before he left, he says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away, so that I can send you the helper. The very anointing that was at work in him is what he has now released to us, so that we can go out and do the works of Jesus and greater in those around us. Bill Johnson said something, and it just really caught my attention. He said this, we don't want to move of God fashioned after our ability. We want to move according to his capacity. That's what I want to see. I want to see a move that is fashioned according to his capacity, not our own ability. Because how many know that we will limit him immediately if we try to figure this out? Yet he says, I can do anything through you if you just surrender to me and learn to obey me and listen to my voice. So ultimately, we need to be spirit-driven rather than program-driven. There's awesome programs out there we run some amazing programs, but can I say, in all of that, we need the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us and to speak to us and through us if we want to see fruitfulness. Um, there's 56 evangelistic um, moments in the book of Acts. I love studying the book of Acts because it's got so much good stuff in it. Um, but did you know that 56 out of 56 accounts of evangelism in the book of Acts has the power and the Spirit of God connected to it. Not once did they just go out on their own and try to reason their way uh, into someone's heart. But if you look at every single account, there was some kind of supernatural gift at work in the disciples. There was either the gift of faith or the gift of discernment or the, the knowledge, the word of knowledge or word of wisdom or all these things, or there was just simply the power of God or the miraculous power of God or whatever it was. If you read through the book of Acts, it excites me and saddens me at the same time because I look at the church at large today and I think that's the church that Jesus wants us to be. 
So we need to break out of our shell. We not, just like Bill Johnson said, we need to not look for a move of God that's fashioned according to our ability. We need to look to the word. We need to look at him and say, okay, God, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you have in store? What is it that you want to use me to do today? Who do you want me to speak to today? Who do you want me to have faith for today? Who do you want me to lay hands on today? Who do you want me to pray out loud for today? And we don't, it's actually just as simple as that. It's so awesome to hear those kind of testimonies because here we are and, and sometimes it takes so much for us to be like oh I don't know I, I don't know if I should and you know I um, <laughs> the interns hear me say this over and over but I, I always say you know if you feel this little voice saying you should go you should go pray for that person or you should go and 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 speak encouragement to that person and, you know we're like oh God is that you I don't know if it's you and I, the interns have heard this a few times now but I'm like it's probably not the devil just so you know. Just, just saying. So we need to realize that when we hear those little promptings, it's God going, you can do it. Nike, just do it. And here, it's awesome to hear that testimony. Hey, I, I went up, I stepped out, and, and I went over, and I just prayed. And it's amazing because God actually says in that moment, you don't have to worry about to, what to say or what to speak because in that moment, the Holy Spirit will start flowing through you. And here you are, and you're like, I don't even know what I was saying. But, but hey, and then she said that that was exactly what she was thinking. That's how simple it is. That's all it is. If we tune in to God and just say, okay, you want me to go? Sometimes I, I feel this little prompting and I, I don't even know what it is exactly I'm supposed to do but the moment I step out God starts speaking and directing and so it's just as simple as that and it's awesome because now there's a person's life actually five lives changed because of that simple step of obedience awesome that's as simple as it gets it's amazing. Number three, evangelism is an event. This is the third delusion we just want to squash. It's not just an event that we do. It's something that can happen anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Did you know that 86% of people, according to statistics, say that they came to Christ through relationship? 86%. So can I say events are awesome. Events are great. But can I encourage you just to be yourself and not just wait, wait for an event to happen so that you can be part of something? Just be who you are. Be a Christian. Share the love of Jesus. Share what he has done in your life and allow God to use you in that way. Um, the best way to build relationships is four simple things. Build relationship. Be willing to sacrifice your time and energy as you're building those relationships. Identify the needs of those around you. And the, the last thing is look for ways to share the gospel in those situations. It's very simple. That's all you need to do in relationship. The fourth thing is this. Um, evangelism ends at conversion. Sometimes we, we live our life as if, if we can just get somebody, somebody to, to pray this prayer, then we've done our job, then we've been an evangelist, then we've shared the good news. But can I say, that's actually just the starting point. Getting someone to a point of decision is when they start their journey. And it's such a beautiful journey that we then get to get, be a part of and then help them grow, help them develop into disciples of Jesus Christ. It says go into all the world and make disciples. It didn't say go and make converts because God desires relationships. So it's way beyond just that um, first step. But in order for us to, to truly uh, step into evangelism, a couple of quick things that we need to do. First of all, we need to take our focus off our own inadequacies and shortcomings and our weaknesses. How many of you ever felt like you have some uh, shortcomings and some weaknesses? How many of you have heard that little voice going, well, you're not good enough. 
um, well, you can't do it, well, you're not as good as fill in the blank, right? So in order for us really to align our heart with God, forget about your weaknesses. We all have them. I have them. You have them. Join the club. <laughs> it's all good. God can actually use you through your weakness. Actually, in fact, it goes so far as to say in the Bible that in my weakness, he is strong. Sometimes he takes us to a place of weakness where we learn not to rely on our own ability and our own strength, but we can become completely reliant on the power of God in our life. Focus on, our, on your God-given strengths, not just our human limitations. Sometimes we become so focused on what we can't do that we forget what God can do in us and through us. Uh, third thing is we just need to show compassion to a world that is in need. And we do that best by just co-laboring and working together with the Holy Spirit. If we wake up in the morning and say, God, who do you want me to notice today? Where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to speak to today? He can start showing us areas where we can simply just show the compassion of God. Very simple. And last thing is just recognize that your God-given authority is stronger than the power of the enemy. You need to know that there's an enemy out there, and he doesn't like the idea of you evangelizing. He doesn't like the idea of you sharing the good news. But know that the authority that you have been given is so much stronger than the power of the enemy. He has gifted you. He has commissioned you. He has anointed you. He has given you all the authority. So you don't need to worry. Don't you worry about a thing. Anyhow, I have songs go through my head, and I should leave them in my head. Um, but anyhow, I want to uh, just touch on eight styles of evangelism, and that's kind of where we're landing today. I know it's a little more practical in nature today, uh, but I just want to share with you eight simple styles of evangelism because I want to say this. Everyone has a natural way of approaching people, of approaching the idea of sharing God, and um, so this is not different ty types of evangelism, as in, like, I'm going to tell you, you can do this event or you could do that event. This is more, these are different styles that you're probably going to find that you, you relate to one or many of these styles. There's not one that's better than the other. It just could help explain, because sometimes the worst thing we can do is to say, well, I, I'm not bold, and I'm not that type A personality. I was actually going to get a soapbox this morning, but I forgot. Um, and I was going to stand up and say, this is how we should do it, uh, you know, because sometimes we look at those moments and we're like, yeah, if that's evangelism, I don't got it. It's okay. Most people don't, to be honest with you. And it's not always the most effective way either, just so you know, uh, to reach someone's heart. Uh, not that it's always wrong, because God can use absolutely everything. Um, but this, I want to go through these eight different styles just to say, as you see something that relates to who you feel you are, be, be okay with that. And be okay with the fact that the person sitting next to you may approach evangelism completely different. And that's okay. That's why God created us unique and different. And so all of them are good. And as we grow in Christ, he's probably going to stretch you to try to not just let your... Uh, personality become an excuse for not doing anything else, but he's going to show you that your personality is a strength to often have a primary way that you relate to people, but he's also going to stretch you to say, how about you try this, and how about you step out into that, and how about you stretch a little bit into this area, maybe not your comfort zone, but when you take the step, I'm going to show you that I'm with you, and I'm going to use you in ways you did not think that you could be used. And so as we go through it this morning, just... Um, 
if you feel like something relates to you, just jot it down. And you can kind of uh, look at that. And if you feel like God is challenging you to step into some other areas, that's awesome too. But the first style I want to talk about is the prayer style. This is the prayer style of evangelism. Um, in Acts chapter 9, we see this man called Ananias, and he's just minding his own business, and then God speaks to him, gives him very specific instructions to go and encounter this man called Saul. And he's like, uh, Saul, the one that kills people? That Saul? Like, yeah, um, that same one? And God's like, yeah, 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 that's, that's the one. And Ananias is like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, out of your mind, God. That's, uh, yeah, no. Do you, have you heard of what he's, have you, have you paid attention lately to see what he's doing? Um, and so at first, I, I can only imagine the battle that went on in Ananias' heart. But then he's like, you know what? Just do it. Nike. He was like the first Nike person out there. And he's like, you know, I'm going to put on my Nike shoes and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over with the direction that God gave me. And he goes. And as he, as he meets Saul, God has already been speaking to Saul and um, as soon as he comes in there, he lays hands and he prays over Saul. He baptizes him. And then Saul is the one that then became Paul and wrote most of the books in the New Testament and, and, and gave his whole life, dedicated his whole life to spreading the gospel. But what we have to understand in this type of evangelism is 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God, who is, the glory of Christ, sorry, who is the image of God. If, if this is who you are, if you love to pray, if you, if you get all excited about prayer, you need to realize that as you're praying for people that are around you, praying for your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and, and fellow students whatever it is, you need to recognize and realize that there's actually such a thing as, as the enemy blinding them. And so the best place you can start is to recognize that, God, as I'm praying for this person, I pray, God, that you would take off the blinders off of their eyes. I pray, God, today that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would, that you would start to work in their life, Lord, in such ways that they cannot explain it any, anything outside of just you working in their life. And so if, if this is you, if you connect with this, this thing, if you love to pray, we need you. Can I say this? No evangelism will ever be effective without prayer. Check mark. No, so everybody, even if this is not your high calling in life, you need to understand that if you want to have any effectiveness in sharing uh, with those around you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you need to be praying for them and believing for them. Um, that is something that is absolutely uh, non-negotiable because we must pray. And can I say, it's okay to get a little bit aggressive in your prayer. Don't be aggressive with the people, but as you're praying for them, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to believe for them. I'm going to be standing in the gap for them. I'm going to be believing that God is going to touch their life now. And you go to town in your prayer closet for those that you love. Uh, we talked this week again about evangelism with the interns, and one of them said something that I thought was so profound. They said, you know, we need to, we need to speak the gospel to a person as if their life depended on it. Because it actually does. And when we fully understand that that is the heart of God, then in this area of prayer, we can start to tear down strongholds that are in their lives. We can start to battle uh, in that realm for them. 
so that they can see the truth. These people are usually very passionate, <laughs> very determined about praying and believing for people, so that's awesome. However, if this is you, uh, be careful not to just stay in your prayer closet, because God will often then, as you pray for people, actually give you opportunity. So if you're this kind of person, don't just go, oh, Jesus, and I just pray that you would send Ray into their lives, because, you know, she is so awesome. And Lord, if you don't want to use her, just use Ryan. Or God, would you send Carling? And he go, he, he's probably out there going, you're forgetting someone, right? So be prepared that God may actually go, okay, good. Uh, Another one of the interns uh, (laughs) a couple of weeks ago was like, well, I I prayed before I went to work uh, that God would open this door, and I got there, and then um, he opened the door to speak about him (laughs) because prayer works. And it's as simple as that. If you prepare your heart in prayer, God can open doors that nobody uh, else could open. The second style is is the caring or helper style. I would say this is probably the most common style. I think we are really, really good at this one here at Impact. Um, And we can always get better. But this is something that our our church seems to connect to. It's a natural thing in people's hearts. We have a lot of really, really compassionate people. And it's been awesome to be able to do things like the Back to School Bash in the fall. And Hands of Hope. And different events that the the Connect groups have been doing. And it's it's an awesome way to share the gospel is by simply caring about people. Uh, Jesus talked about it with the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, and he said, you know, if you want to be someone's neighbor, then you need to see where they're at, see their need, and care about them. Don't just walk by them. Um, And last week I talked about how everybody has this void in their heart because God has actually placed eternity inside of people's hearts. And so this this is the style of evangelism where you just have a gift to see what that hole is, to see what that void is, and then come in and actually use that need use that void as a door to start to meet those needs and start to connect those people, build relationships with those people so that you can actually then transition to share the gospel with them. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus doesn't want us just to sit in our house and pray and, and stay there, but he wants to actually be the light in us and through us that goes out into the dark places. I talked last week about how we can't blame uh, darkness for the void of light if we're not out there. And so we need to recognize that Jesus said that we are the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world, but now surprise, you are. (laughs) Now you go out as you be the light in the darkness to those that are around you. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and with truth. So God has called us to not just talk about it, but this is where the the idea of proclamation and demonstration actually comes in. He has called us to proclaim the gospel through the way we live, and he's called us to live the way we proclaim the gospel. The two go hand in hand. We can actually not do it effectively without having both in place in our lives. Yet so many times we've satisfied ourselves with, well, we're just going to do some good deeds, and hopefully they'll ask why. Can I, can I challenge that mindset and say, actually, that we need to utilize those voids, those holes, those needs to actually be ready then to share as the moment comes and say, do you know why? Do you, I've had this question so many times. Why are you doing this for us? 
do you really want to know? <laughs> Are you actually asking me? Because I would love to tell you why we do this. I would love to tell you about a God who loves you so much more than we do. So it's an awesome opportunity to step into it. But we can't also just stand on our soapbox in a quarter and say, oh, God loves you and, and God has a plan for your life. And, and, you know, you should come to know him. But then we see all these needs around us and we're not willing to step out of our comfort zone to meet them. Can I say it's absolutely uh, non-negotiable for us to do both. Words are no substitute for actions, but neither are actions substitute for words. We need to proclaim and demonstrate. If I can see this, if, if all we ever do is good works, that's awesome. But if we truly understand that a person's eternity is at stake, then we will allow our works to open the door to share the real answer. And so don't ever um, think that God won't give you opportunity to share. If you're open to it, he'll give you that open door. James, sorry, Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is our job, not the pastor's job. This is all of our job in order to let people see the real answer is to be able to share the good news in what we do, in who we are, in how we live, and in what we say. People that have this as a primary style are usually incredibly compassionate people. They're passionate about caring for people. They're passionate about helping people. And they find incredible joy in meeting people's needs. Um, if this is you, just be careful not to use it as an excuse to not actually at some point share. It doesn't have to be the first time you encounter a person, but be open for when God opens that door to share the wise. And some, sometimes uh, people feel afraid like, to actually go there. They're like, well, I don't want to turn people off but by saying that this is connected to faith or, or church. I just, I just want to love on them. Can I challenge you that people are actually looking for the church to do what the church was supposed to do? And when they actually hear, I've had this so many times, they're like, I didn't think churches did that anymore. Can I say that by you proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, you are restoring people's hope in church again? Because so many times they become so judgmental and for good reason of why church is not doing what they're supposed to do. And when we come along and we are little Christians and we're compassionate and we meet needs and we pray for them and we help them and we're there for them and we build relationships with them and we bridge those relationships and we start to come and we need to start to demonstrate the gospel. They're like, whoa, I didn't think churches did that. If I had a penny, well, pennies don't exist. If I had a dollar for every time someone said that to me, that would be good. Um, but <laughs> uh, I'd like that. Um, but if I can say it this way, don't be afraid to share the wise. Don't be afraid to share the good news as you are meeting those needs. Third thing is this, the relational style. This is awesome, probably the most effective. As I already mentioned, 86% of people come to Christ because of a personal relationship. The Bible is full of examples. Even when you look at the disciples, uh, they were out one day and uh, they were, um, you know, just walking around, and then as, as one person 
sees Jesus, they're like, hey, you need to come. You need to come and hear this guy. And they, they bring the people they love. Actually, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It's amazing to see because he had, he had been praying and seeking God and saying, I need somebody to come and, and tell me about Jesus. And while I'm waiting, it was actually Peter that was coming. And he said, well, I'm waiting for him to show up. I'm going to gather all my family, all my friends, and I'm going I'm to have them ready here because they need the answer as much as I do. Can I say, when we build relationship and when we realize that God wants uh, our whole family, not just natural family, but those that are around us, the brothers and sisters that God has placed in our lives, the men and women that are around you, when we recognize that God has simply called us to build relationship with them. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, I have become all things to all men that in the end I may be Uh, by all means, save some. This is Paul speaking. And he said, you know, I'm not afraid to go and be with the Jews. And and when I'm with them, I become like a Jew. He doesn't say I do everything they do. But he says, I relate to them. When I'm with the Greeks, I relate to them. When I'm with people in my sphere of influence, I find connection points. Cameron is actually awesome with this. With sports fanatics, he talks about sports. With people that like politics, he starts talking about politics. When when he finds people that have different interests, he, he just gets in there and he uses it as a door to open the door to relationship. And once you have that door, trusts builds. And as trusts builds, people become very open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a key to reach people's hearts and make them stay. The other statistic says that most people uh, that, that would come even to a church, unless they build relationship within the first month, quite often they won't stay. Because people long for relationships. People long for connections. So this is an awesome way to share uh, the love of Jesus with people. Uh, People that have this natural gift are usually very caring, very kind, very other-focused. They very rarely think about themselves, um, and they're wonderful people. But if that's you, uh, just remember not to just value friendship over truth, but at some point introduce the truth to those that you love. Uh, I had a friend that I grew up with where I I had to be very patient (laughs) with her. It took a long time. But every now and then, we would just transition into those conversations. And and eventually, she, she did give her heart to Christ, but she said, it's because you you kept going, and you, you never judged me for not wanting it, but then you were always willing to talk, even though I didn't think she wanted to talk about it. She actually did, but she kind of played it up like she didn't. <laughs> so can I say, be patient with relationships. First Peter 3, uh, 15 says, always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have. The message version says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. We need to always be ready to share the hope that we have. And if you're always ready, that leads to the fourth thing, the testimony style. Revelations 12, 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. There's an enemy out there that is trying to come against people coming into the knowledge of God, but this simply says that we can overcome it simply by sharing our testimony. Can I say, you have a story to share. You have something to say. God has either preserved you from something, if you've been preserved, and maybe lived a life that has uh, been according to his, his will for your life, or he's delivered you from something. Regardless of where you're at, you have a testimony. You have something to say. You have a story. You have somewhere that you can relate to people that other people can't. So don't ever think, well, someone else is better at it. Can I say, God needs you. We need you. God wants you to speak up and say, hey, this is my story. Can I say, this is the most effective way to end an argument. 
Have you ever found yourself in a, in a place where you're just arguing back and forth about God with someone? And, and it's like, you're just, well, no, no, I think the Bible says this. And they're like, well, I don't think the Bible says that. And, well, I blah, blah, blah. You know, sometimes when we get into these discussions, like, people don't always care so much about the intricate details of doctrine. What they want to know is, is this real to you? It's the best way to transition into sometimes ending an argument and saying, hey, I, you know what? I don't know if we're ever going to agree on everything. But, but can I tell you what God has done in my life? Because no one can argue that. No one can say, no, he didn't. Well, I guess they could, but they usually don't. <laughs> um, and it's a way to transition and say, this is what God has done in my life. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals this blind man. The, the religious people get all up in a huff and puff about it, and they're like, how dare you heal a blind man? Like, really, where was the compassion there uh, to start with? But they're like, and you did it on the Sabbath. Do you have to always heal on the Sabbath? I think Jesus probably actually waited for the Sabbath just so that he could rub them the wrong way and say it's, it's about more than rules and regulations. It's actually about people. I think that's what he tried to do. Um, but so they come to this man, and they're like, how dare you be healed? <laughs> like, the poor guy, he's just excited about he was blind, and now he can see. And so they actually call him in front of a council, and they're like, tell us who did this. And he's like, well, it was that guy, Jesus. And they're like, well, why did he heal you? How did he heal you? What did he do? Why did he do that? And he's like, I don't know. And he's actually being questioned in front of this, of this committee, right, of religious people. And they're questioning him right, left, and center. So finally he goes, excuse me, can I just say one thing? I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't have all the answers, but one thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. You have a story. We may not have all the answers, but the one answer you have is what Jesus has done in your life. Don't be afraid to share it. Mark 5, verse 18 to 19 uh, talks about this story when Jesus was coming. I'll just paraphrase it for you. But Jesus comes and there's this man who has been tormented by evil spirits. And Jesus comes and, and in just one word, he actually just sets the man free. And he is completely delivered, completely set free. He was so tormented. He lived by himself among tombstones. That's not a good place to live. How many... I mean, I can <laughs> agree. That's not a good place. But can I say there's people all around us in our world today. They may not live in a graveyard um, physically, but they're trapped inside. And they feel like there's death all around them. There's sorrow all around them. There's no answer anywhere. And Jesus comes right into his situation. And he says, with one word, I can set you free. But what's so awesome, and I just caught this as I read this story again just this week. What's so awesome is when, when this man gets set free, he actually, be it says he begs Jesus, can I please come with you? Of course, I would too if I was just set free. And he says, can I come with you? Can I travel with you? Can I go with you? And Jesus actually says, no. No, you can't. But what I do want you to do is go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. But did you know that this man didn't just go home? If you read what it says in the next verse, he actually says, and then the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed as he told them. Can I say that your testimony can actually transform cities? He, he didn't settle by going back home and just telling them. He actually traveled to ten different cities, and he says, everybody that heard him were amazed. Can I tell you today, you have a powerful testimony. I don't know what it is, but you need to share it. And as you do, you will never know how many people, how many places can be transformed because of that. 
And again, remember that your testimony is more than just words. It's being an example. Just like you said, Mackenzie, this morning, like sometimes we just need to be who we are before God and people go, hey, can you tell me why you do that? And it's a wide open door to share. The fifth thing is says the inviter style. Um, Luke 14, 23 just displays the heart of God. He says, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The heart of God is that he wants everybody to come in. He wants a full house. He likes to party. He likes to have people around. He likes to have company. He wants everybody to come to him. But he is actually relying on you and I to go out there. He says, go out into the highways. Go out into the byways. Go out into the country lanes. Go out into your sphere of influence and invite them in. We had this guy back in Oshawa at OCC. Uh, when he came to youth group, he just had a radical encounter with Christ and his life was completely changed. So guess what he did? He went back to his high school and he started telling everybody, can I just tell you what Jesus has done for me? You need to come to church this Friday. It's going to be happening. It's going to be rocking and you need to come. And so he started bringing one, two, three, four, ten, twenty, thirty. And the youth group grew from about 20 people and within a year they were at 100. Most of them because of Phil. Because he said, listen, God has transformed my life, and you need to come and see what this is all about. He was an inviter. Actually, I would say beyond that, he was a bringer. It's good to be an inviter, but be a bringer. It's, it's like, you know, you don't take no for an answer. Don't be obnoxious, but, but be kind about it. But instead say, hey, you know what? This Sunday would be a great time to go out for lunch. Before we go for lunch, um, why don't you just stop by with me about 10 o'clock, for a couple of hours, and then, and then I'll treat you to lunch. I'll come pick you up even. Great way. Just giving some hints. Anyhow, uh, but be an inviter. Be a bringer. Dare to say, did you know that, uh, again, according to statistics, one out of four people actually say they would come if they were just invited? One out of four. That's pretty good. So can I say, if we invite ten people, hey, that's a couple that are coming, we invite 50 people that goes up don't be afraid don't be afraid of a no it's all right my friend Linda growing up with she said no about a hundred times and then once she said yes <laughs> then there was no stopping she was so radically saved that then she started bringing everybody that she knew uh, to church because she wanted them to see what she had experienced as well um, but um, don't underestimate the power and presence of God that someone can feel when you just invite them. We have seen this over and over again. When someone just come into a place, if they don't know God, if they don't know Jesus, and then they come into this place where people are, are worshiping and people are praising him, and, and you can feel the, the, we know it's the spirit of God, but I've had so many people say, I don't know what happened to me. I just felt this thing. And I'm like, can I explain the thing? Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what that is. But if you just bring them, and it's not about bringing them to church, of course. It's a bring, bringing them to Christ, bringing them to your environment. I love what Bree and Sarah are doing. They bring people into their home because they're like, you just need to get in this environment and invite us in to, to a place that's safe, to a place that's peaceful. Sometimes people just look for a place of refuge. Sometimes people just need to come in and sit and have a cup of tea and and have a chance to just be themselves in a safe place and we can start bringing them into the atmosphere of God but don't don't underestimate what God can do when you bring them actually right into the presence of God into church there's this quick thing that I just want to mention and then wow I'm out of time um, but there's something called an a angles uh, scale of conversion it was put out uh, years ago now 
Um, but I was actually going to do this, but I'm out of time. But if you can imagine, he, he started at a minus 8 as a scale, and he went all the way up to uh, plus 3. Actually, now the scale keeps going. It's actually no longer just 3. It keeps growing and growing. But he said minus 8 is like an atheist. It's someone who does not acknowledge that there is a God out there. Minus 7 is someone that has like an awareness of God, but they're not really open to it. And then minus 6 is like an agnostic where it's like, yeah, well, eh, I don't know. And then as you move closer to the point of zero, it's basically more and more of an openness and awareness of God. And at a minus one, usually, you hit this, I think I need someone other than myself. I think I need someone in my life. Zero, he considered like the point of, of actually giving your heart to Christ and then plus one, two, three as you keep growing and, and uh, developing in your faith. But can I say this? When you're an inviter, sometimes you think that you have to take a person from minus eight to plus three in one moment. Can I say that if all you do is to have some relationship and some conversation with people to move them from minus eight to minus seven, then you've done something awesome. You've opened their minds to the gospel. And then the next person comes along and moves them from minus seven to minus six. And on it goes. And, and it's awesome to see when we work together. Uh, Paul says it this way, I planted a Apollos water, but God gave the increase. We need to recognize that God is the one that does the work, and it takes the pressure off us to try to make something happen in someone's life. If I can say it this way instead, we need to just be open to the voice of God for what he asks us to do in that moment. And there's two primary ways that God will speak to us about a person. It's either a gentle prompting, and that's often when he's like, just, just go have coffee with that, with that person. Just Go invite them. Just go spend some time with them. Those are the gentle promptings. And can I say, success is when we obey God. Success is not when we see the results that we think we have to see. Success is simply doing what God asks us to do, even if it's that simple. And then there's times that he has an urgent voice in our lives, and he's like, now, <laughs> you need to go, and you need to actually share the gospel right now with that person because their life may be at stake. So as we become open to hearing the voice of God, Obedience is just as important in both cases. But as we learn to know the voice of God, it's amazing to see how he can bring results. Um, number, I'll just give you, oh, I'm out of time. Number six, academic or philosopher style. I'll just run through this. Uh, but this is where you are very intellectual. You like to reason with people. You like to explain to people. Ravi Zacharias is wonderful at this. Can I say this is actually the second least common style, yet it's the style that intimidates most people. And most people say, well, I can't be like that. I can't explain like that. Well, don't worry about it. You don't have to be like that. There's gifted people like Rav Zacharias. Send them a link to it. <laughs> uh, but if this is you, be open to reason like, G like Paul did. He went into the synagogues and he addressed them and he kept explaining, reasoning, and demonstrating and proving that Jesus was the Christ. And if this is you, if you like to reason with people, remember that your attitude is just as important as your information. That is not just about sharing the information, it's the attitude in which you do it that is super important because if not, we may win the argument but lose the person. And so remember that we're not there to win an argument, we're there to win a person, to win their trust. Uh, seven, a direct assertive style. Um, this is the least common style, yet it's the most criticized and the one that people are afraid of. Um, so 
These are people, usually type A, that are uh, very bold, very strong. This can be greatly used by God, and it's a wonderful thing if it's within balance. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about you need to speak the truth in love. So you need to always remember that there's truth and there's love, and we need to have a great balance of both. Uh, This would be the soapbox person, (laughs) Um, and God bless them. They're awesome. They're wonderful. Most people do not find themselves in that category, but if you have someone that you know like that, bless them. And uh, um, cheer them on and remind them to see the person behind the, the people they're talking with and not just the situation. Uh, last one is this, and this is just where I want to land today. The spirit-empowered style. This is where I just want to come, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm going long here, but this is the most effective style of evangelism when it's spirit-empowered. Can you imagine if in every witnessing opportunity we were completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to say, what do you want me to say to this person? How do you want me to approach them? God, do you have a word for this person for today? Is there something you want me to share? Is there something you want me to do? Is there something you want me to say? Acts 3, uh, verse 4 to 8 says, this is where where Peter and John goes to this beggar at the street, and they had, I'm not going to go through all the details, but they had... um, they, they focused on one out of the multitude because they were open to the direction of God. And then God speaks to them and, and directs them to literally raise that man out of his misery, out of his, his place of begging and being lame. And so we see how miracles can happen when we're open to the Spirit of God. The book of Acts is full of accounts that have people that are completely reliant on the Holy Spirit. Um, when, when we're sensitive to the voice of God and Jesus um, speaking to us in each situation, then we're actually just like Jesus because he said I only do what I see the father or hear the father tell me do and I think that this is the most powerful way that we can tap into sharing the gospel Uh, Jesus was fully God but he was also fully man and do you realize that Jesus whenever he walked the earth was completely reliant on the Holy Spirit just like you and I it's actually awesome to see his example because he couldn't just do things because he was God. He was also fully man. And so when we learn to do things like Jesus did, we realize that we can also have complete reliance on the Holy Spirit and see the power of God. Acts 4, verse 29 to 32. Greg read this on Monday at our prayer meeting, and I just thought it was so awesome. I want to end with this. It says, and now they're at it again. Take care of their threats. These are the, the apostles after they've been beaten and captured. And he says, and give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message as you stretch out your hand in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And while they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with fearless confidence. The whole congregation of believers were united as one, one heart and one mind. Can I say this, that I believe that all of us need a day infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to be effective in evangelism. I believe that the most effective way is to have signs and wonders and the demonstration of the power of God follow through. And I'm not going to focus on that because God is actually doing two messages on that. Uh, so I'm going to leave that up to him. But, um, but it's a great way to transition to say we need to have what they're praying about here. And, and they're saying they're at it again. <laughs> here they are again. They have fearless confidence. Can I say today what we need, no matter what style you identify with, no matter where you find yourself at, you need to have fearless confidence that there is a God in heaven that is with you, that has empowered you, that has strengthened, that wants to speak to you and through you so that you can do the greater works in Matthew 14, uh, sorry, John 14. He wants you to go out there and to proclaim the good news with demonstration, with signs, with wonders, with healings, with faith that is greater than anyone could ever imagine. 
And so what I want to say today is I want to believe as a church that we can step into this place where we have fearless confidence that God has already equipped us for what he wants to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.